Amen. Um, go ahead and tell your neighbor, good to see you in church this morning. Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be glad that you came to the house of the Lord. I, I know this is the third time we've done it, but just in case people are tuning in, uh, good to see you at the beach or wherever you are. I got a text message uh, a couple days ago, Joe. Uh, Davis, who's our head elder, uh, a picture of um, his plate full of barbecue from my favorite barbecue joint down in Birmingham as he was headed to the beach. So, um, yeah, not fair. Exactly. Second, it's the second best barbecue I had ever had in uh, Birmingham. The first, I don't even know why I'm telling this story. This is not planned. Um, but uh, so there are wild pigs down in Birmingham. And uh, my buddy trapped a bunch. They're, they're a nuisance, just so you know. Um, and he brought me over uh, a baby pig. Um, and he gave it to me, a wild hog. And uh, I, um, I ate it. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the crazy part about the story is I lived, like, in this kind of suburb of Birmingham, south of Birmingham. And I had to figure out, okay, like, how am I going to process this? And uh, so I waited till it got dark, and uh, I went out in front of my townhome there in Birmingham, and just like, I was hoping, because I had this post, so I'm hoping my neighbors weren't going to come home, and of course, right when I start processing this baby pig, um, my neighbor comes home, and he grew up in the inner city, and he looks at me, and he goes, is that a cat? <laughs> I'm like, like, No. It's not a cat. And he's like, well, what is it? And I'm like, it's a, it's a pig. And he's like, what are you doing with it? I'm like, I'm going to eat it. And uh, he's like, you're going to eat that? I'm like, yeah, you, do you like barbecue? And he's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, what, well, do you want some? He said, no. <laughs> no. I'm like, well, this is what it comes from, brother. Um, so that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that I want to tell you this morning. Um, I just, yeah, it's a good story, I guess. Uh, we are starting a new series this morning. We finished up our old one, and we're starting a new one, and we are in the book of Philippians, um, and so uh, you can turn there if you want. I'm going to teach a little bit on the Bible this morning, but um, we're in the book of Philippians, and this, this series is just simply called Press On, and we take it from what I believe is kind of one of the theme verses out of Philippians, which is found in chapter 3, uh, verse 14, and Paul is writing the church there, and he says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what I love about the book of Philippians is that it's a really encouraging book to a local church. And I've told everybody kind of on our teaching team over the next several weeks, hey, just encourage the church in this series. Encourage the people that you're speaking to and talking to. And Paul is doing that in the book of Philippians. And he's telling them here, hey, I've, I'm, he's in prison, by the way, as he writes this. And he says, I'm in prison and he's, he's kind of on death's door from what you can tell. He's not really doing well, and he's trying to decide, does he want to kind of keep going in ministry or basically just go to heaven himself um, and just kind of just, hey, Lord, just kind of take me. And he said, I, I think it's better for me to, to be with you and to continue to do what I'm doing. And I have a heavenly call here on this planet still. And he's saying, I'm just asking that you join me. You, he's saying, you all too have it. 
the, the, the local church, the, the individuals in the local church, that you have a call on your life that's not just, it's not just an earthly call. Like it's where heaven meets earth and you have that call on your, your life through Christ and he's asking them to engage in that and join him in that. And so that's what we're kind of looking at over the, the next several weeks. We'll, we'll get through most of the book. I don't think we're going to get through all of it because we're going to kind of take a, a little break and, and sidestep to kind of wrap up even some of the things that we're doing with Alpha. Uh, but I, I'm just going to ask that you kind of follow me along. Now, every once in a while, we, we do this, and I think it's actually important every once in a while just to kind of preach or teach through a book of the Bible because one of the things that that does is it almost acts like kind of preventative medicine for us Christians, and it addresses some issues that we may or may not even know that we have as Christians. And it also makes us pastors and teachers and preachers and so forth address things that we might not otherwise because what you're doing is you're opening a text and you're going, oh, that's in there. Like, oh, the early Christians believed this. Oh, Jesus taught this. And maybe we should teach this to our people. Now, whenever I, I do something like this too, I'm always reminded that not everybody was raised in the church. Uh, not everybody has a Bible at home. Not everybody's familiar with Bibles. But not only that, uh, what um, our digital life has kind of done for, for us, and I'm not rail, railing against, uh, I, I do it all the time, I rail against screens, whatever. But I'm not going to do that here. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually very, our Bibles are very accessible because we have phones in our pockets and tablets and stuff. So when I tell people there's screens here when you come, like you never kind of engage with a Bible. So you don't even really know what a Bible is. And so I just want to take a, a few moments and for you who, uh, might not be like really familiar with what the Bible is and just kind of t to teach that uh, a little bit real quick before we kind of get in uh, to the book of Philippians. And so here's some things that, that you should know about your Bible is it is kind of intimidating sometimes, isn't it? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, that, like I'm a, I'm a pat, I've, I've got an undergrad in Bible and religion, I've got a master's and, and divinity, which just means you took more Bible classes. Um, and so, and this is like, it's a big book. There's a lot of stuff in here. And if you read throughout history, you're like, this is the most influential book in the history of the world. Like, by far. By far. I mean, there's nothing even, even close to this. But when you pick it up, you're like, oh, no. Like, what do I, what do, I do with this? Where do I go? And I just want you to know, uh, just as a, a really simple thing, there's a table of contents at the front of every Bible. Um, like right there, and never be ashamed of using it, especially as you're uh, getting familiar with your Bible. But as, as you know, the, the Bible, or you might not know, that's fine, um, it's broken down and basically to two testaments, the Older Testament and the New Testament. And in the Older Testament, there's, there's roughly, there, it's not roughly, there is, uh, 39 books um, in the Old Testament. And it's written by about 33 authors, give or take, there. And what it is, is it's God working throughout the history of Israel, and they're them recording what God is doing uh, throughout their life. Um, and throughout the history of Israel, they're recording this for the people so that they can know how God has worked in the past and what they're expecting to come in the future. And then you have the New Testament, which is 27 books of the Bible. And um, we have, I think, uh, roughly about... Um, 16 authors in the New Testament. So we have this collection of books. The Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, the New Testament primarily in Greek, um, although there's some Aramaic there. Um, New Testament, nine authors, excuse me. Um, 
And what we have here is we have these two testaments coming together, and they're written in different genres. The Old Testament, you have roughly four or five, depending on how you're counting your genres and splitting them up. In the New Testament, you have two or three, depending on how you're counting it. And so when you're reading the Bible, you're coming with a bunch of different tools even. You're trying to figure out, like, how do I read the book of Psalms? How do I read the history? How do I read the narratives and the poetry and the wisdom literature? And the same thing when you get to the New Testament. Now, when you get to the New Testament, what you discover is they had a very high view of the Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, you'll discover if you're a close reader of even the Old, and by the way, it's, it's a good thing to read the Old Testament to understand the New, because the New Testament either completely, like it either quotes or has an allusion to the Old Testament roughly 900 times. So the writers of the New Testament were very familiar with the Old Testament. And what they're doing is they're, they're understanding Jesus through the Old Testament. Like what God had done in the past, they're understanding what God has done in and through Jesus. But not only that, as we get to the New Testament, as we become followers of Jesus, we believe that the entirety of the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, points to Jesus. But we as followers of Christ, we interpret everything through Jesus. Like we, we look at even the letter of Paul, like when we look in the, Philippian, the book of Philippians here, if we're familiar with Jesus, we're familiar with the Gospels, we're, we are interpreting even those through the life and ministry of Jesus, what he's done in the past and what we believe he's going to do in the future. And so it's this, what we believe is this kind of unified story that's pointing us to Jesus and what he has for us now and in the future. And for the church, we believe, I believe, that the Bible is what guides us into the life that Christ would have us to be, both individually and collectively. Paul puts it like this in uh, his letter to the second Timothy, or to Timothy, which is the second letter to Timothy. He says, all, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's spirited by God. And it, it's, it's useful. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for what I'm doing here today. It's useful for, for reproof. We don't like that one. <laughs> it's useful for correction. We don't really like that one either. Um, it's, it's useful for training in righteousness so that all of us, so all of us who believe in and attempt to follow God would be complete and fully equipped to do the work that God has called us to do. And so what we have in the Bible and what we believe, and this is why we do what we do every week, we, we study it together and try to learn from it and glean from it, is that we believe that God breathed out his spirit on human beings who wrote down what God has done and is doing throughout history and we have been able to have a preserved word for us that allows the Spirit of God to work in us and through us and guide us as a people. And so the book we're looking at here um, of the Bible that has been written has been written by a, name by a man named Paul that I believe that the Spirit of God uh, inspired to write what he inspired. And so who is this author? Who is this author? Who is this man named Paul? Well, Paul was a very influential person. Uh, in the New Testament. Maybe um, up there, obviously, there's Jesus, and basically, there's kind of Peter and Paul. When we think about the launch of the New Testament church, Paul planted roughly uh, 13 uh, churches, maybe more. We're not really sure exactly, but he planted roughly 13 churches, and Paul was a guy named, if you grew up in children's church, he was a guy named Saul, Right, or if you just read through the book of Acts, and he had this incredible conversion experience. And I really do mean incredible because Paul was a persecutor 
of Christians. The Bible actually says he was breathing murderous threats against Christians, and he was overseeing the death and persecution among the first people who decided to follow Christ. And he was, he, that, was, that was his job, is to turn people into the authorities and to, to allow people to be thrown in jail or killed by Christians. And then Paul has this incredible experience on the road to Damascus. God shows up and basically blinds him, and he has this experience that converts him to become a Christ follower and completely changes his life. I mean, he changes his name and everything, and he goes from being a sold-out persecutor of God to a man who is ready to lay his life down and just give his life completely over to God. And we see it in the work and ministry that he does from there on out. Paul spends um, roughly 13 years from that conversion in ministry, and he spends uh, most of his time from that point in time planting churches. And so this means that he travels roughly 7,000 or more miles throughout the rest of his life as kind of an older to middle-aged man um, planting churches all around the known world. And this is without planes, trains, or automobiles. I mean, he's, he's traveling by ship, he's walking, he's hiking, riding, whatever there is to ride. And so here's a little picture of Philippi, which is one of the, uh, this isn't a picture of Philippi in general, but the area in which he planted churches. Now, these are the, the, the cities here that he wrote to. So these are some of the cities that he wrote to and some of the churches that he planted. Philipp, Philippi is there at the top middle, and Philippi is the first church that Paul planted in Europe. It's the first church Paul planted in Europe. You can actually read about this in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is titled after the Acts of the Apostles. I think it's better titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit because if you read it, you see what the Holy Spirit is doing as he plants the New Testament church. And there's a story of Paul here planting the New Testament church in Philippi in chapter 16. You can read it for yourself, but it's another incredible story. Paul shows up in Philippi and he walks in uh, to some of the areas where people are worshiping God and some of the areas that he would go or people or places like that would talk about philosophy and where we're trying to, he, he, he was that type of person who would just go into places um, or into Jewish synagogues and so forth, and he would talk uh, about Jesus, and he comes out, and he goes to the area where the women are worshiping, and he begins to explain to them about who Jesus is as they're worshiping, and this lady named Lydia, uh, who we're told is a seller of purple goods, and that's in there uh, for, for a reason, by the way. Like, there, there, there's some details in the Bible that are there for a reason, and one of the reasons that Lydia is, we're told that she's a seller of purple goods is because what it's kind of telling us there is that she's a wealthy entrepreneurial woman, and uh, that she eventually, you're going to find out here, is going to kind of probably bankroll Paul's ministry in that area as the first convert. And so she is converted uh, to Christianity, and then she takes Paul to her home, and her entire household is converted. And from what we can tell there, she begins to launch a church out of her house. So the church in Philippi was started by Lydia, a, a, a wealthy entrepreneurial woman, and probably even maybe potentially led by women at that point in time. So Paul uh, goes to Lydia's house, and he teaches her family uh, about Christ and so forth. And then he continues to treat, teach and preach around Philippi, and he keeps walking by this demon-possessed young girl. And the Bible actually, this is crazy, it actually just says he's annoyed um, by her. Uh, this is just, they're just straight, the Bible is just straight up about this stuff. Like he's, and so at the first, it seems like maybe Paul doesn't even have compassion on her. She's, 
She's a fortune teller, and she's actually, she's in slavery. She's in bondage to these men who own her, and she's making them money. And Paul eventually walks over to her and starts praying for her and casts out the demon. It makes her useless, by the way, to the, to the men that own her. So essentially, he's, he's, he's freeing her from her captivity. But the problem with that is, is that this is how these men were making their money. They were making this money in this unjust way, in this awful way, and now they've lost the source of their income. And so they go to the authorities and say, hey, this Paul, he's disrupting the, the local economy and religious system here. And so they, they beat him with rods, um, and then they throw him in jail. And so now he's in jail in Philippi, and as he's in jail, he and Silas, his, his buddy who was with him, uh, they're praying. And as they pray, an earthquake comes. And God just works in this miraculous way. And as this earthquake comes, uh, the shackles, of th- their shackles uh, fall off. And, I mean, everybody's kind of free to leave. And the jailer goes to take his own life because he realizes that if I can't keep all of these people in prison here with me, uh, I'm, they're going to come after my life anyways. Well, here's what Paul does. I mean, this is incredible. It seems like God just gives him the opportunity just to take off and leave. Well, Paul goes to the jailer who's about to take his own life. And he says, stop. There's no, there's no need for that. We'll stay. Let me tell you about Jesus. And so he stays. He tells the jailer about Jesus. So this is kind of a weird timeline thing here that you're trying to figure out as you read. The jailer converts to Christianity, takes Paul to his house to, to, so his entire family can learn about Jesus and be baptized, takes Paul back to prison. And because of the circumstances, Paul's a Roman citizen, so he, should, he was prisoned unjustly according to their actual laws and all of those sorts of things. Um, as Paul is waiting in prison, then the jailer releases Paul again, and what we're told is that Paul goes back to Lydia's house, probably where that first church has started there and being led by Lydia and um, he tells them a few teaches probably some more and then he leaves he comes back one other time in the book of Acts and that's his experience with the Philippian church and how the Philippian church got off the ground so uh, pretty I think it's very interesting and pretty cool I think it's fitting for this weekend even for our church because 14 years ago basically this Sunday uh, this church launched Catalyst launched. Um, I didn't even realize this this past Sunday, um, but Heather, our children's director, sent me this text um, the other day. It says, 14 years ago on our Facebook feed here, Sunday is our church's first preview service, and she's telling people she can't wait and inviting people to be a part of the church that she's excited about. Paul is writing to that kind of a church, a church that he's excited about, that he loves, that he wants people uh, to be a part of in the book of Philippians. And so if you have your Bibles, let's read what Paul has to say, and let's get into what I see here as Paul's love for the church. So this is Philippians 1. I'm going to read through verse 11 and uh, teach a little bit. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all of you making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, 
because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all my affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ or comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, what I want us to focus on this morning is really simple, and it's Paul's prayer for them. I, w- I was struck while reading through this that Paul's prayer began with that he hoped this church, he hoped their love would abound more and more. I told you that as followers of Jesus, we even read Paul's letters and the other letters in church through the lens of Christ. And what that sounds like here, it sounds a lot like Jesus. I mean, what did he say his followers would be known by? He said we would be known by our love. That's, that's like, that is the thing that Jesus believed that the early church would be known by. You'd be known by your, your love for one another. Not that we would be known uh, by our, our slick worship services, like our, our, our great worship. If you have not lo- loved, like you're just a, a, a clanging symbol, is what he says. Not that we would be known primarily by signs and wonders and all of those sorts of things, which is great. I, I believe in healing. I believe that God does miracles. I, I, I've, I've seen it. I, I believe that God wants to, like, transform people radically. Like, he can do all of those things. Not that we would be known by our crea- creativity or tricks or, you know, whatever it might be. Not that I don't think Christians should be cre- creative. I think we should. We could probably be more creative ourselves. Like, we shouldn't just be boring. Like, um, all of those things are good, but Jesus said what we would be known by is our love. And so Paul is praying for a church that seems to even be a healthy church here, and he's saying, I want your love to abound more. That's, that's my goal for you. Yeah, that's, what I'm, that's the primary thing that I'm praying for. And what I want us to do is I want you to see what Paul does even before he gets there, though, in this letter. Because he, what he does is before he prays for them and tells them that he's praying that their love might abound more and more, he starts by basically putting them in a place of honor. Even by just, just what he calls them. By the way, and he does this. In, he does this in in other books too. Like when you read through the Corinthian, the book, the, the book to Corinthian, the Corinth, and you'll you saw where Corinth was uh, on the map there. Like Corinth was a messed up church, and what he does even to the Corinthians, but especially here for the Philippians, is he calls them saints. He calls them saints. In other words, he calls them God's holy people. He says that above all else, the people that I'm writing to. Uh, the, the people that I'm addressing, you all belong to God, is what he's saying. You have been set apart by God. And so when Paul is writing to these people, he is not just writing to anybody in his, in his mind. He's writing to the people of God. And we are, uh, I can get that second. But, so I think, that what he is doing here as he's writing is that he's not just seeing the group. He is, sees a group. He sees a church. He sees a group of people, all those sorts of things. But he also sees individuals. 
Like he, he sees individuals who belong to God. And we know this because he actually writes to individuals. And, and by the way, just because it's kind of a, a Bible lesson too, um, this is how we know a lot of the, a lot of the stories and a lot of the uh, um, history even in, especially the Gospels in, in some places in the New Testament here, are real. Because what happens is that people will write to people from particular places. In other words, what the Bible writers are saying is like, go ask that person. You know, they don't write to actual George, but like George from, from Pendleton. Like, go ask him. Uh, so that's, a, that's a, another thing. But Paul is writing here, and he's writing to people, and he, he believes that they belong to God. And I have this, I used to have this hanging in my office. I kind of have a home office right now, so I don't have a lot of places for this on my wall. But the first time I thought, taught through uh, Philippians, I had a friend of mine who's an artist down in Birmingham, Alabama. And I asked him, I said, hey, give me some artwork for each chapter of Philippians. And this is what he came up for uh, the first chapter. And it's Paul, and it's actually a print of a, a French artist. We're not exactly sure who did this. There's some guesses who did this piece of Paul himself. But you can see he, he put some overlay and some other things behind it if you look at the original um, painting. And it's Paul at work writing to the church in Philippi. And you can see kind of those prison bars there that are in the background. And at the bottom of this painting, you can't really see it or this print. It says, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. And I used to, I used to have it in my office, and I used to look at that. And um, I used to really like that because it's, it's Paul, I believe, thinking about the people in his church. Thinking about the people there and Philippi, and what he tells them as he's writing them, and as he continues, um, there are these things. He says, you bring me joy when I think about you. That's what he tells them. He tells them that we, we've partnered in the gospel. In other words, they, they join together in the gospel, and, and when Paul talks about the gospel in the book of Philippians, he doesn't talk about just a, like a, a set of beliefs or a set of things to say, yes, I, I'm in there, I, I, like I believe that, I'm all for that, but actually what he's doing, he's referring to Jesus. In other words, like we partnered in Jesus together. We, we, we lived our lives and we gave our lives to Jesus and we walked with Jesus together. He, he tells them this, he said, God who began a good work in you, he's gonna bring it to completion. In other words, what God started in you, what God is doing in you, what God has called you to, he, he, he's going to bring it to completion. You just continue to work it out, is what Paul's saying. He, he believes that God is at, both at present, presently at work in them and has a future work for them. He tells them that, that he holds them in his heart. And then he says this, he says he has affection for all of them. He, he uses the word all, and I believe it, like, he liked everyone. He loved everyone in the Philippian church, like even the weird people. Um, every church has weird people, right? They, it just does. And he loved them. I, I mentioned that 14 years ago, uh, this church started about 14 years ago. And there, there, when you have a church plant, like uh, what happens is, is not a lot of people actually stay. Uh, there's always usually like kind of this boom at the front, and then people kind of get burned out or, or whatever. And unfortunately, people leave or go to their places or whatever. It's just unfortunately the way that churches, uh, we've planted churches in the past that kind of just work that way. But there are some people here 
that were here either in the beginning or towards the beginning. And two of them are your pastors. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Miss Heather back there who's taking care of that crying baby. Uh, how do you know? Actually, I think Heather might be gone on break. But, and Pastor Nate. Like, and here's what I want you to know about them. Is they love you all. I mean, they love you all. They love this church. They, they honestly want to pour themselves out to do God's work in this place. And I love that about them. Like they, are, they are some of the most committed people that I have been around. And they, I've never heard one of them complain. And I'm not making that up. Um, I just wouldn't say anything if they did. Uh, like they, they lead with love. And I love that I get to minister alongside of them as people who help plant this church and get this congregation off the ground and who have poured their heart and soul into to making this group of people happen that come together to worship God. Austin has not been here that long, our student minister. But he loves you guys. He does. He loves each and every one of you. I, I, I believe it with all of my heart. Otherwise, he'd be fired. Okay? <laughs> and he really does. He cares about you. He cares about you following God. He, 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 he cares about you honoring him at school and at home. He, he cares about what goes on in your lives, whether you're hurting or whatever is there. Austin cares. He does. He really cares. And I, I know that so many of you, I mean, you care about us, and we're so thankful for that. You know, I've been in pastor's meetings, and I'll tell you a little thing that goes on in pastor's meetings, right? I probably shouldn't, because now pastors won't trust me, but whatever. You know, there's a saying in that, like, pastoring would be great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> I've never liked it. I've called pastors out on it. I have. I've called, I'm... Like, and, and I get it, like, I've been, I've been doing this for about 16 years or so, been a pastor for about 16 years, and I've been in some places and seen some things. Like, church people aren't always nice. Uh, sometimes y'all don't treat people very nicely. Um, sometimes pastors, they are in some places and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's very difficult. But my challenge has always been when I'm in that room and somebody brings that up is, hey, just try loving them. Like, they can tell if you don't like them. Like, people can tell. And even if they don't like you, like even if they don't love, love you, like love them. You got to love them. Here's, if you're trying to, you know, be around anybody, if you're trying to lead anybody, if you want to lead anybody to Christ, if you want to show anybody to Christ, if you're in a position of leadership, and by the way, we define leadership around here as influence, so all of you are leaders, all of you have influence in your life. You may only be able to, you know, you, it might be small, it might be large, but just Here's something that I want you to know that I think we can learn from Paul and the people who are planning the New Testament church, that you need to, you need to love the people you lead. That if you want people that you are around, around to love people, that you need to love them. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible concept, but you have to do it. Like, if you want others to love, you got to love them first. And I, I want you to know, this, I hope this is encouraging to you all. Like, I want you to know, as your pastor... I will, always, I will always do my best to love you. I will always do my best, whatever I'm saying or whatever I'm doing, 
whether like in teaching, even if I'm like correcting and reproofing, by the way, which actually used to be the role of a pastor to a certain extent. I mean, we hardly ever do it anymore. Um, But like, I will always do it from a place of love. Ask my, I, I really, I don't dislike people generally. I mean, it takes a lot for me to really dislike you. You have to be, like, I like weird people. Ask my wife. I mean, I've, they've lived with us after we got married. Um, ask her. It was not, it probably was not, that's not good marriage advice uh, to bring people into your home right after you get married that probably shouldn't be there, maybe. Um, but like, we've taken people in that I shouldn't even probably have taken people, taken people in. But I, I believe, this is why, I believe that you belong to God. I don't believe you're primarily mine. We're part of this tradition called the Church of God, and we don't harp on being Church of God or, or, or whatever, but the, the last part of that is the idea that you are of God. In other words, you belong to God, that the church belongs to God. Not only does the Spirit call you and bring you in and set you apart, but that th- there's, there's a possession there that you're not mine. Like, you're just... You're just people that I get to shepherd, and I get to steward, and I get to love, and I hopefully get to, to call you in to, to, to following Jesus, and I always hope to do that from a place of love. And to be honest, like, it, makes, it makes me joyful to get to pastor our church. Just this past week, I was at some conferences. We were at a Church of God conference, um, and I was there, and I had probably five different people come up to me, and we're not a very big church. We're not. I had probably five different people come up to me and, and just say, like, hey, I hear great things are happening in the Catalyst. I, I, I hear awesome things about Catalyst. That, that, that actually makes you pretty proud. And I, like, half the time, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But no, I mean, I do, like, there's some really cool things going on. We just had, we just had a guy make the paper for praying for his, his uh, Pee Wee football team. It's fr- front of the sports, I assume it's front of the sports section. I don't know. It's, it's in the paper. But isn't that, isn't, isn't that cool? And, and here's something I want to tell you, like if you're joining a church or looking for a church or, or whatever, and it, it's, it's kind of hard to do, but look to join not just to be loved, which I hope you are loved if you come to this place, but look to join and try to love other people in the, our midst. Try to. And, and just see what happens. Like you'll probably, you'll, you'll probably be loved back. Like you'll probably be cared for back. You might not be. I can't guarantee anything. But that, that in general, that's how things work. You, you love people, they will love you. And that's what, call, that's what Paul is, is doing with the church there. He's telling them, I, I love you all. Now, let me pray that your love will abound more and more. So the question is, is what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I'm sorry. I sorry. I could. This not. That was not in the. Let's move quickly. Love, love is not a bunch of warm fuzzies. It's not that love doesn't involve your affection and how you feel. It does. Obviously, you see it in even Paul's letter here. But love, the word he used here is agape. It's 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 sometimes used to describe. The, the love of God, and we're told that God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he's telling us that God places this incredible value on us not when we are even unlovable. Like when we are unlovable, Christ dies for us. 
And so there's an action that God perpetuates to show his, his love. And as you read through the text, what you discover is that that kind of love is supposed to help us in our decision-making. And the other part of Paul's prayer, which is that we will grow in knowledge and discernment, that we'll be able to approve what is excellent, that we'll know how to be pure and blameless ourselves. Everything flows out of a desire to love other people and to sacrificially love them. It's, it's how we know what we are supposed to do if we're going to show love. Paul's opening words even, I think, are incredible in, in the way that he kind of uses them here. Do you notice what he called, you should because I just said it about 10 minutes ago, what he called the church. He calls them saints, but what did he call himself? He called himself a servant. And I think that's really intentional because here's the thing. Paul's a saint too. He could have said, hey, one saint writing to another saint. But what he's trying to show them, he's trying to show them, hey, if you want to understand how to lead and how to love and how to work within the church, not only are you a saint, but you're a servant. And he he uses a very radical word here. There's actually two words for servant in the Bible. There's diakos, which basic or didakos, which basically means servant, like servant. And there's doulos, which means slave. And so as he's writing to the, the people in Philippi here, he's using the more radical word. He's actually using slave. We don't often put it in the text because we think of chattel slavery, and it's awful. And slavery even then wasn't great. But he, he's saying, he, he's saying I'm, I'm that kind of servant to you. I, I belong to you in service. He's saying, I'm free in Christ. Like, I'm free from sin. I'm free from shame. I'm free from guilt. I'm free... Uh, from death. I'm free from all of that. I'm free to go to God. I'm, 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 I'm free to worship, all of these sorts of things. But he says, I'm a, I'm, I belong to you, and I belong to God. I'm bound to you and his people. And Jesus basically teaches the same thing. So if you go to Mark chapter 10, 42 through 45, here's what he's, Jesus is doing, and he's calling them together and he's calling his disciples together. And this is a, a lesson on how to lead and how to have influence here. And he's telling them, he says, you know, you know the rulers in this world. They, lo- they lord over people, right? They're, they're about power. They're about authority, all of these sorts of things. And the officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is teaching here, hey, to be great in the kingdom, hey, to really love people, to show your love, you need to be a servant. And so in our church, we're always trying to move people from consumers, like, hey, what can I get to what can I give? Partner in the mission here. Help us to love God, love people, love one another and make disciples. That is part of our outward and upward and heavenly call that Paul talks about. We see it as Paul plants the church. Lydia. Lydia comes a, becomes a believer in Christ. What does she does? She opens up her home to other people, invites them in to hear about Jesus, launches the church, probably is bankrolling the church at first here. She has maybe that kind of ability. Uh, Paul, when he's in Philippians after that, he's he, in Philippi, 
he's out and he frees a slave girl. Essentially, he's willing to spend time in jail. When it's time to even get out of jail, he says, no, hey, I'll, I'll lay my life down for you, jailer. I just want to tell you about Jesus. Like, let me just, let me, let me, let me tell you about Jesus. Let's get your family in the church. And that's what he does. What, 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 what are some things that maybe you can do to show people that you love them, to show people that you care for them? It doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be like crazy difficult. Um, it can be something really simple. We had, I'm going to end by sharing this story with you. Um, we had a young lady in our church, and um, her older sister, her older sister is only 35, but struggling with cancer, and she recently uh, passed away. And so we've been trying to just kind of surround her and, and help her. Uh, make sure that she knows she feels loved and comforted. There's nothing, by the way, you can say to somebody who loses a loved one that makes them really feel a whole lot better, especially when they're young. And um, she wrote to us recently because we've been supplying them with meals and kind of showing up for her. Here's what, here's what she wrote. And this couple, by the way, they're newer to the church. Um, and uh, she never really experienced this. And I want to read you this letter. She said, I never thought of myself as having a village, a lone of having a village, a lone wolf, if you will. I've always told my husband that I felt alone when I was in hard times in regards to not having people outside of my immediate family that care about me. Until losing my sister recently and the sheer humbling love and support of the Catalyst families that they have surrounded us in. I've lost loved ones before, acquaintances, etc. But I've never felt such deep sorrow and loss than now for losing my older sister to cancer. But the simple act of making sure we have dinner these last two weeks has seriously uplifted my family and made me feel like we've finally found a church that is filled with God and people who love people. So please pass along my thanks to every single person who has prayed or reached out or blessed us with food. We can't thank Catalyst enough for lifting us up, praying for God's comfort and easing our pain during this. This is a special place and I am so thankful for it. Wow. So we're going to take kind of, this is just a response time during a church, and here's just a really simple question for you. Who can you love this week? Who, who maybe uh, you know that you need to reach out to, maybe that you just need to show, hey, I, I love you. I, I care about you. It can be somebody in the church. It can be somebody outside of the church, somebody going through uh, a difficult time, somebody who needs to be encouraged. Who, who can you love? I believe while kind of worshiping here too, uh, a few moments ago, um, God maybe encouraged me to encourage you to do this as well. Um, who haven't you seen maybe a while in your Bible study and uh, the seats here at church that maybe is pulling away from God or maybe is feeling like they're being pushed or, or whatever? that you could reach out to, to let them know, like, hey, we love you, we miss you. Who's that? Um, if God has put any of those people on your heart and maybe you just want to bring them to God, you can even write their names down and you can write them down anonymously and, and on our prayer wall if you want. And for others of you, here's just what I want you to know, that Jesus loves you. We're told that for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. God places great value on you. 
He loves you. He gave his son for you. While you were still a sinner, he died for you. And Jesus is calling all of us to follow him and to be a saint, to be of his people. And if you have not done that and you would like to do that this morning, I invite you to do that. Let's all pray. Father, we give you praise and thanks because we are greatly loved by God. We are greatly loved by you, and we know that because Jesus came and he died for our sins in our place. He gave his life as a ransom for us. He has freed us from Satan, from sin, from condemnation, from death, from fear. And he has saved us too. He saved us to heaven. He's saved us to be able to approach you in moments like this. He's saved us and given us your spirit, Father, which I believe not only spoke to people like Paul and and speaks through people like Paul, but speaks to us individually. And maybe there are people in this room, Father, and you have laid others on their heart for them to love. I, I pray that they would, they would see that as a word from you. Maybe this morning they come and we just need to respond by looking around this room and believing that all of these people in this place, that they're saints, that they belong to you. So help us to love the church that, that you planted 14 years ago. For others in this room, I, I hope that they would respond knowing that you love them and that you have called them to follow you. And that they would respond by saying yes to your call this morning. Father, I pray whatever our response would be, I pray that it would be faithful. Because you are faithful and you are good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.